so our reading is taken from John's Gospel, first chapter, John chapter 1, found on page 886 in the church Bible, and let's read God's Word. In the, be- in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, and he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. And to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law was given through Moses, and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known just a prayer. Father, as we still our hearts with your word open before us, we come now to pray for your help, the illumination of the Spirit. We thank you that Jesus is light and truth, and we pray that your light might uh, shine upon the truth of your word, and that it might fill our minds and our hearts, and that our wills might bend to it even as we leave church this morning. Minister, we humbly pray to us in the way that only you can, by your Holy Spirit. And we pray this in the Savior's name. Amen. The first 18 verses of John chapter 1 are known as uh, the prologue to the gospel. Uh, It serves, really, the first 18 verses serve as an introduction to all that John is going to say. And it is one of the most wonderful sections of uh, the Bible, but certainly of the New Testament. It is one of the most uh, gloriously majestic sections that you will find in Scripture. Someone has said uh, of this text of Scripture, uh, and I'm not just sure who said it uh, first, I've heard it from a number of sources. A child can easily bathe in it, but an elephant 
could just as easily swim in it. That's John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. It is beautifully simple, yet it is mysteriously profound. Augustine and Chrysostom both said, it is beyond the power of man to speak as John speaks in his prologue. It's a bit like standing uh, on the foothills of the Rockies and, uh, or, or even the French Alps and, and uh, standing in the foothills and, and looking up uh, to those snow-capped peaks as they tower and, and, and reach majestically into the sky in, in front of you. And, and to spend some time in the prologue is a bit like that as you look into the themes that will be unfolded and dealt with throughout the rest of this gospel. If you're not a hill walker and don't like mountains, then you could think of um, the prologue as, as the overture to a wonderful symphony where John introduces us to sounds and themes uh, in his music that he will return to a little bit later in his gospel. And it's like a gentle opening up of all that is, is to come. Now, in his gospel, John's purpose is very clear, stated in John 20, verse um, 30 and 31, where he says, I've written all these things about Jesus so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So, he really sets out to do two things. One, he wants to tell us about Jesus. He wants us he wants to tell us about the wonder and the majesty and, yes, the mystery that surrounds the person of Jesus. He wants us to understand that Jesus is altogether different from anyone that has ever been written about in the past. And secondly, he wants us not only to be confronted with the wonder of Jesus, but he wants us to believe on this Jesus so that we will have life because he believes that it is through believing in Jesus that we enjoy life. Now, life is life eternal, and he'll go on to deal with that. John 3.16 will have everlasting life. That's the life that he is talking about. And he's not talking about our existence just continuing day after day, month after month, year after year. That would be dreadfully boring, I think, for some of us at least. What he is talking about is he wants us through Jesus to experience a life that has a heavenly quality to it. And by believing in Jesus, that heavenly, that life that has this heavenly quality can begin to break in upon us um, right now. And right here in John's prologue, he begins by uh, setting Jesus before us and encouraging us to believe on him, unlike the people who first um, encountered him. So, John is really wanting, us, wanting to tell us about the wonders of Jesus, and, and that's the great task of any preacher, I think. My one wish every time I speak in a, in a service like this is, is that I would be able to somehow communicate something of the wonder and the extraordinary nature of Jesus, that people would leave with a sense of Christ's greatness, uh, a bit like the the, the two Americans who came to London, I'm sure you've heard it, the story, and one went to hear Spurgeon, and I think the other went to hear Bishop Parker or somebody, and 
they're comparing notes after this morning's service, and the man who'd been to hear Parker said, what a great preacher. And uh, the man who'd been to hear Spurgeon said, yeah, but what a great Savior. And, and that's what John wants us. He wants us to leave church thinking, what a great Savior. What a great Savior. So let's try and break this passage into, into five sections if we can. I think it naturally falls into probably um, three big chunks, but I've divided it into five sections. I want you to think about his pre-existence, uh, the, the pre-existence of Jesus. I want you to think about the power of Jesus. He is life, He is light, and the darkness could not overcome the light. I want you to think about two groups of people, John the Baptist and the Jews, and their role in uh, the life of Jesus. And then finally, two quick things. One on His presence, the Word becomes flesh and dwells amongst us. And then finally, a little bit about His person. He was full of glory, but He was also full of grace and truth. So those are the five areas that we're going to try and camp on. First of all, then, His pre-existence. As soon as you open up the Gospel of John, it becomes abundantly clear that it's going to be different from the Gospels, the three Gospels that have gone before it. Because in John's Gospel, there's no genealogy as there is in Matthew and Luke. There's no manger scene. There's no boyhood years. Uh, we're not taken back to Abraham. Um, instead, what, we are, what, what happens in John's Gospel is he takes us back to the beginning and beyond the beginning, back into eternity. And he begins with the words, in the beginning. Of course, that's reminiscent of uh, the opening words of the Bible, the Old Testament, uh, in the beginning. So, John says, in the beginning was the Word. And uh, what does it mean to talk about the Word in a biblical context? Because I think to understand this, we're better to study Old Testament theology than ancient Greek philosophy. I think the background, the theological background uh, to this word, the word, this concept, if I could put it like that, the word, is to be found in, in the Old Testament. And our word, if you will, is our clearest, it is your clearest expression of yourself. You express yourself in your words. And uh, in the Old Testament, God, ex God expresses Himself through His Word. So, God's power is somehow synonymous and expressed in His Word. God spoke and it was, we're told in the book of Genesis. So, God's power is manifested in His Word. Not only do you have a manifestation of God's power, but God's Word is also synonymous with His salvation. So, in, in another place, Psalm 107 verse 20, it says, and He sent His Word, and He healed them, and delivered them from their destruction. So, God's Word is synonymous with His salvation. But perhaps more importantly, in connection with John 1, the Word of God is also synonymous um, with His revelation the revelation of his mind and will, the revelation of himself to the prophets. So, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. 
The word of the Lord came to Isaiah. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel. God reveals himself. He reveals his mind and his will to the prophets, and the prophets pass it on to the people. So, God's word is synonymous with a revelation of himself. And what we are told here is that in John's gospel is that in the beginning was the word. And he'll later tell us that this word became flesh. But the word that he is talking about here is none other than Jesus. And he is telling us that Jesus was in the beginning. He was in the beginning. Now, some of you are here this morning and, and, and you're scientists. Some of you are here and you are physicists. Um, and some of you are maybe even venturing into astrophysics. And you can go back a lot further than I can. Like when I try to go back there, my, my brain hurts. You, you can go way back there. But no matter how far back you go, the Word existed then. No matter where you go, how far back you go, in the beginning was the Word. The Word, Jesus, existed at, at, at that point. The second thing he talks about is not only his eternal nature, in the beginning was the Word, but he also talks about his fellowship as we continue to think about his pre-existence. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was with God. Now, that knocks immediately on the head any kind of understanding uh, of God that he was the Old Testament in the Father, he was Jesus in the Gospels, and he was the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts and uh, throughout the epistles and, and so on. That God kind of existed in different forms at different times in history. Here we've got Jesus, who is described as the expression of God, the Word of God, and we are told that He existed, He was with God. He was with God. So, He is the second member of the Trinity. He is distinct from, yet He is one with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He, exi he exists alongside God. So you've got the Word was with God, distinct from, yet one with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And that's the fellowship that Jesus enjoyed in His pre-existent state. That, that's the fellowship, the friendship circle of Jesus prior to His coming into this world. I often think about that, and I am staggered that one who should enjoy such beautiful, pure, um, committed fellowship should then come into a world where he would enjoy the friendship of people like Peter uh, and Thomas with all of his doubts and Mary Magdalene who had once been demon-possessed. Jesus came into this world and, and enjoyed fellowship with people like that. And the mystery continues because not only did he enjoy fellowship with people like that, but Jesus allows me to be called his friend and allows me to enjoy fellowship with him, to talk to him. It, it's a great mystery. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And, and then we're told, and the Word was God. The Word was God. He not only existed with God, but He was God. He was not the Father. He was 
not the Holy Spirit, but He was God. He was the second member of the Trinity. He possessed all of the characteristics that we would associate with God, omnipotence. There was nothing that He could not do. Omniscience. There was nothing that He did not know. Sovereignty. He, along with the other members of the Godhead, ruled absolutely from the beginning. He was omnipresent. He was everywhere all of the time. There was nowhere that His presence did did not permeate. He was in the beginning, he was with God, and he was God. I know that sometimes some, of, uh, some groups will come to your door and say, well, John 1 doesn't actually teach that. And the reason that they say that is because there's no definite article uh, in front of God. And so they say, see, he's not the God. He's just kind of got divine attributes, but he's not the God. And I could say a ton of things that would bore you to tears in response to that, but, but just ask your friends. In fact, if you've got a Bible, just say, well, just continue reading then throughout the prologue, and you'll see exactly what he means by he was in the beginning, he was with God, and he was God. Look at the very last verse of the prologue. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. The, the only God who is at the Father's side, the one who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known to us. And look at the, what, he, what comes next. All things were created by Him, and nothing has been made that was not created by Him. Surely that demands divinity. It's to twist and, and warp Scripture to ar- try and argue that John 1 verse 1 does not make this simple point that He was in the beginning, that He was with God, and that he was God. So John is telling us clearly on the pages uh, in the introduction to his book, the Jesus that I am going to write about in this gospel is no mere mortal. The the character, the main character in, in, in my story is God. And as you begin to read my story, you should take your shoes off. Because this is holy ground that you're standing on. You're not just reading about anybody down the street. You're reading about God who has come to live amongst us. Second thing then is his power. He goes on to say, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. And uh, light came into the world, and the darkness could not overpower it or overcome it. So his power, his life, in him was life. Jesus is the source of life. He is the agent of life. John has already, John makes the point, all things are made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. John attributes all life to the Word. Jesus is God's creative agent. In him, that is, in Jesus was life. Not only is he attributed with physical life, but he is also the source of spiritual life. The world lies dead in trespasses and sins, yet Jesus comes as the source of life. He comes to breathe spiritual life into us, to open our spiritual eyes, to give us the faith that we need to believe. And unless we receive this spiritual life, we will remain spiritually dead. And so John writes and says, He is the one who is the agent of life, the source of life, both physically and spiritual. Spiritually, it all emanates from Him. Not only is He life, but John says He is light. 
In what way is Jesus the light of men? You could think of light in a number of ways, but isn't it fair to say that light is synonymous with purity? You see a shaft of light breaking into your living room or your office or your study or wherever it is you spend time in, a shaft of light, and all of a sudden things in, in the air become visible, little particles that you didn't even know were there. But the light shines and exposes them, and you can see them. And in exactly the same way, Jesus is light. He comes into the world as light, and He exposes the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And if you want to see how you fare in relation to this light, if you want to see how clean or unclean you are, you need to examine yourself in the, in, against this mirror that is Jesus. Light is also synonymous with direction, isn't it? As well as purity. The, the light makes things clear. We often talk about the need for someone to shed a bit of light on something. And Jesus came to shed light. He came to reveal the truth. In a world where people were struggling under the burden of the law, they could not keep it because of their own sinfulness. Jesus comes to shed light. Jesus, the life that Jesus lived and the words that He spoke reveals that there is a way back to God, and it's a way of grace. The death that He died, the resurrection that He enacted, teaches us that there is life in abundance to be experienced and to be enjoyed in finding Him. Even in terms of the intellectual world, Jesus comes to shed light on the great questions that we wrestle with, like, where did we come from? And why are we here? And where are we going to? The fundamental questions of life, Jesus comes to shed light on those questions. We came from God. We are here to enjoy God and glorify God. And where are we going? We are going to eternity, to a kingdom that's prepared for us, unless we choose that we are going to remain in our sins. And thirdly, not only is He life, not only is He light, but He's also the Lord. The darkness tried to overcome this light, He says. I guess... Uh, that can be taken in a, in a number of ways, but I think John is thinking here about the failure of the darkness to overwhelm, to snuff out the light. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness does not put it out, and it has not been able to put it out ever since. Shortly after Jesus was born, it, it becomes immediately clear that the darkness is pursuing him. He has to flee with his family into Egypt because Herod wants to kill him. Even as he begins his ministry, Satan leads him out into the desert to destroy him through tempting him to sin. Even at his death, they tried to silence him, thinking that that was the end of him, but he rose from the grave victoriously. And even after his death, the religious leaders in Jerusalem tried to contain his message, tried to silence his apostles, but it's carried, then his message is carried to the ends of the earth. The darkness did not overcome the light. And there have been periods of darkness in history where you think that the light's almost going to be snuffed out. And then God raises up people like Martin Luther who says, you know what, the Bible is more important than church tradition. And we better get back to reading what the Bible says. 
and the light re-emerges. The light cannot be overcome. It will not be overcome. And John is telling us right from the beginning of his book that the gospel story that he is about to tell is a success story. And the extent of that success has not yet been told. But if you're a Christian, I want to encourage you, you are on the winning side. This is a Savior who goes forth conquering and to conquer. And no matter how dark it may appear in society, it will not snuff out the light because the darkness cannot overcome this light. This light is God's light. The third thing then is people. Some groups of people mentioned in this passage, and there's two of them. And the first is John the Baptist. There was a man sent from God whose name was John strange to have mention for John the Apostle to mention John the Baptist in his prologue to his gospel. And I, reading around a little bit on that, some people think that there may have been an element within the church who struggled to believe that John the Baptist wasn't more important than he understood himself to be. And they wanted a place, a position within the church for John the Baptist And John the Apostle is making it abundantly clear right from the very beginning of his gospel, John the Baptist was not the light. He only came as a witness to the light. He came as the forerunner, the one who would introduce the world to the light. It's interesting, verse 15 says that John bore witness to him and cried out, this this was he of whom I said, he comes after me and ranks before me because he was before me. Now, when you think about that, because he was before me, John, I thought you came first and Jesus came second. I thought you were the forerunner and then Jesus came afterwards. I think John would reply, yeah, but what I mean is Jesus was eternal. Jesus existed long before I existed. That's why he ranks much higher than me. John knew that he was not the light. He was just a witness to the light. And that's what he invested his life doing. He invested his life in telling others what he knew about Jesus. Some of the other gospels emphasize John's preaching of repentance and his baptism of repentance. But in John's gospel, the emphasis on John's, John, the, John the Baptist's ministry is on his witness. He just told people what he knew. I can baptize you with water, which is fine, but the one coming after me will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. He will give you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come to live within you and revolutionize your heart and life and send you off in a new direction. I can't do that for you. All I can do is baptize you with water, but the one coming after me will do so much more for you. He just told people what he knew about Jesus. And that's that's what we're called to do. Just tell people what we know about Jesus. It's not that complicated, and we would be really surprised at how effective that message is. I could spend all morning just telling you one story after another of people whose lives have been transformed because there was a friend who cared enough about them just to witness to them, just to tell them what they knew about Jesus. We, we did a survey in, our, in, in the church that I was the minister of, of everybody who had come to faith in our church over the last 10 years. And what we discovered, yes, a number of them had come, through the pre- come to faith in Christ through the preaching of the church. But what we also, maybe we should never have done this, but we did it. 
what we also discovered was that in every single case in our church of someone who had come to faith, in that person's life there was another Christian who just told them everything that they knew about Jesus. In every single case, they had been befriended by a Christian who just wanted to tell them about Jesus. John was a witness to the truth, witness to the light. The second group of people that are mentioned in verse 9 are, are the Jews. Jesus is the true light, which gives light to everyone, and he was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, but the world didn't know him. He came to his own, his own didn't receive him. But to all who did receive him and who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood. It wasn't a natural birth, and it wasn't by the will of the flesh. It wasn't some man somewhere deciding. It was an act of God that brought them to spiritual life. Jesus is the light. That's what he says. John says, Jesus is the true light. The true light is not a philosophy, and it's not a political ideology. The true light is a person. And John says he is the true light. There's nothing shadowy about this light. He's absolutely crystal clear. And there's one thing about Jesus, and that is he is clear. You read the Gospels, he is crystal clear. He is the true light, says John. Nothing shadowy about him at all. And he is the true light which enlightens everyone. When he came into this, when the light came into this world, he did not go to some alien remote corner of the planet. He came to his own people. One of the commentators says he came home. He came home, but his own received him not. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was driven from his own village, Nazareth. Eventually, the crowds would cry in the streets of Jerusalem, away with this man and release unto us Barabbas. But as many as did receive him, to them he gave the right to become the sons of God. John's writing towards the end of the first century and this is such a, an amazing truth that he is trying to communicate to everyone who did believe in his name, to those people. He gave them the right to become the sons of God. It's, it's, a, it's a great mystery that someone like me, who's an alien to the, to the commonwealth and the covenants of promise and the commonwealth of Israel, a stranger, just a pagan, born just down the coast here, in a hospital in this city, lived in a little, that someone like me can, can, can stand at the front of a church and say, I am a son of God. It's a miracle. Because I've come to believe in Jesus. You know, I, I had a moving conversation not that long ago, actually, with a couple. And I was staying with them. I was speaking at some event somewhere, and I was staying with them. And they, they were telling me a little bit about themselves. And they said, we have a number of kids, and uh, they had grown up, and, and then we, had, we fostered a girl. And the opportunity came for us to adopt the girl that we had fostered. And uh, we had the social worker around, and this, we began to have an open conversation about what this would look like for us to adopt this girl that we had fostered. And uh, what would it look like? Uh, we were thinking through, and what would it look like in comparison to our relationship with our other children? And what about things like inheritance? What, what, how will that all work out? He says, the social worker looked at me straight in the face and said, that girl will become your daughter. 
She will have the same rights as all of your other children. There will be no difference. Legally, that girl will be your daughter. That's exactly what God has done for those who believe in Jesus. He's made them his children, his sons and daughters. He has given them all the rights of children. And if you've come to believe in Jesus, that he died for your sins on the cross, that there's nothing left for you to pay, if you've believed on him, not only as Savior, but as your Savior, then you have the right to call yourself a son of God or a daughter of God. Well, as second, lastly, he talks a little bit about his presence. He says in verse 14, the word became flesh. The word became flesh. Isn't that Incredible. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And then the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. In Philippians 2, 7 and 8, he says, Paul says that Jesus, or the Word, if you like, took on the likeness of men and was found in appearance as a man. And uh, the word which John uses is the word tabernacle. I think it's a very interesting choice of word. Because immediately it takes you back into the Old Testament and to the tabernacle. It didn't look great on the outside, animal skin, even, even the furniture in the outer courts is brass. But my, when you went into the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle, the colors were breathtaking and the gold. And that's a little bit like Jesus, isn't it? Prophet Isaiah says, he grew up as a tender plant amongst us, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty that we should be attracted to him or that he should attract us to him. But when you begin to take a closer look, the beauty, the majesty is absolutely breathtaking. He who built the starry skies, lo, within a manger lies. So he talks a little bit about his humanity, and he, he also talks about his locality. He says, the Word became flesh. The Word became flesh, and he dwelt amongst us. I think it's Peterson who says, the Word became flesh and moved into our neighborhood. I thought that's a staggering statement. Jesus moved into your neighborhood, into my neighborhood. He experienced life from our perspective, physically. He was subject to human limitations. He felt hungry. He felt tired. He felt thirsty. Intellectually, there's no reason to believe that he could speak 15 languages the minute he was born. Emotionally, he felt things like rejection and disappointment and betrayal. How did Jesus feel when those cold lips of betrayal pressed against his cheek the night that he was handed over to the temple guards? Spiritually, he knew what it was to feel the need to pray, to go and study the, the law and the scriptures and the writings of the prophets. The hymn writer put it so well when he said, Jesus knows all about your struggles. Jesus moved into your neighborhood, experienced life from your perspective. Maybe you're here this morning and you think, well, you know, no one really knows the stuff that I have to wrestle with and the stuff that I have to carry on my shoulders on a constant basis. I would be prepared to argue Jesus knows. Jesus knows because Jesus has lived in your neighborhood. Jesus has experienced life from your perspective. There's every reason to believe he lost Joseph 
when, when he was a young boy because he never appears again in the story of Jesus ever. His, mur- his mother does, but Joseph never appears. He knows what it is to experience loss, betrayal, disappointment, hardship, having nowhere to lay his head. Jesus knows all about standing with friends who are bereaved. Nowhere in any other religion is there a parallel to the sympathetic presence of God in Christ sharing our human struggle with us. And this Christmas, as you wrestle with the struggles of of life, remember the mystery of the gospel is that our Savior lived in our neighborhood. The Word became flesh, and He dwelt amongst us. The second thing, or the last thing, is the measure of His person. What What was He like, this you know, you think about God visiting the planet, to use the words of Francis Schaeffer. God, this is a, a visited planet. When God visited the planet, what was it like? Did people just fall flat on their faces before Him? Did they all scamper and run from His presence? Well, John tells us a few things about the measure of His person. He says, first of all, He was filled with glory, the glory of the only Son of God, and we're all children of God, but there's a sense in which Jesus belongs to a different category of son than we do. He is the only son of God. He is the second member of the Trinity. I saw the glory of the second member of the Trinity in Jesus, says John. I saw him shine on the Mount of Transfiguration as, as his divinity begins to break out of its human limitations. I, I saw something of the glory of God in Jesus. I saw something of the glory of God in Jesus when he stood on a boat and spoke to nature and nature obeyed him. I saw something of the glory of God in Jesus when he stood outside the grave of a man who had been dead for four days and called him forth. I saw his glory. Who is he in yonder stall at whose feet the shepherds fall? Tis the Lord. Oh, wondrous story. Tis the Lord, the King of glory. So he was full of glory, but says John, he was also full of grace. Jesus was grace personified. Grace is God's undeserved favor towards mankind, and it speaks of God's benevolence, his mercy, how gracious Jesus was to people. You know, Jesus was distracted by anyone and everyone. There was a blind man, a man who was visually impaired, couldn't see very well, crying out, Son of David, have mercy. And people around him were saying, shh, keep quiet. He's not interested in how wrong they were. There was a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, and she pushed through the crowd, and she touched just the hem of his garment. And he looked around and said, who touched me? He comes to Jericho, and he goes home with the worst rascal in town and revolutionizes his life. He's on his way back to to Galilee, and he stops at Sychar, and he sits down in a well with a woman whose life has been full of disappointment and shattered dreams, and tells her about water that he can give her that will leave her never thirsting again spiritually. Jesus was full of grace, full of grace, says John. That's what I want you to know. Even think about his grace to his 12 disciples, and John was one of them. All of us betrayed, deserted him. One of our number betrayed him. But look at how tenderly he came and pursued us after the resurrection. Look at how he he singled out Thomas with all of his doubts and said, Thomas, come and put your finger in the nail prints and your hand in the wound in my side. Jesus was full of grace. 
full of grace. He's also full of truth. Full of truth. You know, Francis Schaeffer, founder of the, the Labrie Fellowship in Switzerland, tells of an American government leader that he listened to giving a lecture on, uh, on restoring the values of culture. And afterwards, a student, he, he was in the lecture, and afterwards a student asked the American government leader, on, upon what do you base your values? Well, where are you going to go to get a foundation for these values? And uh, the government leader says, I don't know. Like, where do you go for the truth if you don't go to Jesus? Jesus is the truth. That's what John says. It's not only is he full of glory, not only is he full of grace, but he is the truth. And we should build our lives on everything that he says. He told us the truth about ourselves. We're broken. He told us the truth about God. He is holy, but he is loving. And he told us the truth about the future. There is a kingdom that we need to prepare to enter. He told us the truth. And we should build our lives on the truth that he told us. Maybe you believe that Jesus was the truth and everything he said was worth building your life upon. But maybe you've begun to listen to other voices. I find that a challenge at times. All these voices clamoring for your attention. All of these voices speaking into your mind about this and that. And who do I believe? Who do I listen to? Listen to Jesus. He's the truth. Jesus says so many things that we need to listen to. He tells us not to worry about tomorrow. He says to us, look at the lilies in the field. Look at how your father cares for them. Won't he care for you? But instead of listening to Jesus, we worry ourselves sick. We think about the cost of discipleship, and Jesus says, if you lose your life for me, you'll find it. We try to hang on to our lives, and and instead of finding it, we lose it. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Christmas is a great time for peacemaking, isn't it? As we get together with family members that maybe things aren't that sweet with. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. And we seem to be bent on making sure that we get even, that we make our point, that they make sure that they know that we're not very happy. Jesus says, listen, be a peacemaker, run towards peace. Jesus says, lay up treasure in heaven. That's a difficult one at times. I find it difficult laying up treasure in heaven. Sometimes we long to have more treasure on the earth. Why why does it have to be so difficult on earth? as we invest in, in, in heaven. But we must believe the truth of Jesus. He was full of truth, and we need to build our lives upon what he said. So the five things, and I'm finished, were so simple. His preexistence. This is no ordinary mortal that we're reading about in John's gospel. He was in the beginning. No matter how far you go back, he was there. He was with God, and he was God. And, and a little bit about his power. He was life He was light, and when he came into this world, the darkness tried to overcome him, but it couldn't, and it will never. And if you're on his side, you're on the winning side. A little bit about the people. John the Baptist was not the light. He just told people what he knew about the light. That's our job as Christians. Just tell people about Jesus and the Jews. He came to his own, but they didn't receive him. But everyone who did receive him, everyone who believed on his name, they were given the right call themselves sons of God. And finally, or penultimately rather, his presence. 
In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and moved into our neighborhood. And finally, what was it like when God lived in our neighborhood? Did people ju- were people just zapped and fall flat on their... No, he was full of glory. I saw the glory of the only begotten of the Father in him. I saw it, says John. But he was full of grace. That's, that's what I want you to... Be full of grace. How bad you are. You're not too bad for Jesus. He was full of grace and he was full of truth. Let's listen to what Jesus says. Just a prayer before Roger comes. Father, we thank you for this great section of Scripture. Um, we feel as if we've only scratched the surface of it. Uh, there, is, there are depths to be plumbed here that we have not yet uh, reached. And, and, and yet, Lord, we thank you for all that we've thought about and considered in relation to Jesus. And we thank you for the mystery of his person. We thank you that he is beyond our comprehension. He wouldn't be God if he was, if he was manageable. We thank you that he is unmanageable. But we thank you, Lord, for this note that has been struck by John, that he was full of grace. And Lord, thank you that many of us in this room have found and experienced that grace. And we pray that it will be true of all of us before this Christmas season is over. And we pray this in our Savior's name. Amen.